Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, 2020 listeners. Greetings to all of our listeners, no matter what year they're listening from, be it uh, time-traveling listeners or those who are going through an archive of all the podcasts of yesteryear, right? Sure. Why not? Um, now, as I mentioned before, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. Uh, just in case you haven't listened to this podcast before, I'll just do a quick summary of who we are and what we do. Uh, that was about it. Ben can be found in a number of uh, automotive publications, including – what are they again, Ben? You can find me at Automobile Magazine, Motor Trend, Super Street, and Haggerty Classic Car. That's right. And you can find me at autotrader.ca as well as nouveaumagazine.com, which is a new publication I'm writing for. But this week, we're going to be talking about two pretty interesting uh, luxury SUVs. Well, maybe not interesting to everybody, but I found them to be pretty, uh, you know, impressive to talk about. That's for sure. And I think they left <laughs> Way to really good. undersell everything we're going to be talking about today on the podcast. Look, the, the, the listener can make the judgment on whether or not the cars are interesting or not. But Unless they will... just went with your judgment <laughs> and have already <laughs> tuned out. Um, the most important thing to talk about uh, this week is what you're driving this week. Ben, which is the new BMW X1 SUV, right? Before I start talking about the X1, I just want to imagine a world where we have a podcast where we just do an intro and then Sammy says, so you should stop listening right now. And then like everyone just turns off and every week it's the same thing. It's like, here's what we're talking about, but you don't want to hear it. And then turn turn off the podcast. I don't want to do that. That's not true. I'm saying what I'm trying to say here. And maybe I should be more clear with what I'm saying. This is not great for a podcast. We should start with (laughs) – basically I want to say – the cars that we have, I think, will will be surprising. I think the X1 that you're driving uh, this week, as well as the Lexus RX that I'm driving, might not appeal to everybody, but I think they have um, some really surprising features that make them stand out. Well, now that you've mentioned that you're going to be talking about the Lexus RX, everyone's mm. just going to skip the BMW section and go right to your section. So I, I don't think even, it's the other way around. <laughs> I don't know why I'm even talking at this point. I mean, I could just do like a crude crayon drawing of the BMW logo and it would have the same impact on listeners, I think. Well, how close can you get the microphone to your crayon and paper? My crayon is incredibly silent, Sammy. Uh, so it, it how would a, we know? It costs a lot, but it's worth it. Um, silent? Even, because That's because you don't want to wake anyone up with your crayon drawing. I've always been afraid to talk about my interest in silent crayons with you because I thought it would be an invitation to open mockery. But I guess everything's on the table now. Open mockery? No, I'll just – I'll judge you silently. Well, as silent as your crayon. Speaking as, of silent judgment, that's kind of what I'd done to the X1 before I drove it. Because right. I can't remember the last time I drove this vehicle – and I know BMW had made uh, kind of a small mid, mid-cycle mid update to the vehicle in the spring. But I was not really feeling this this car before I picked it up. I was like, oh, it's another, you know, inexpensive yet still luxury-seeking type of crossover. We've driven so many of these recently. There's so many more of them coming out. And it it just feels like... So few car companies get them right. I mean, we've talked about that a few times, not just with SUVs, Sammy, but also the entry-level sedans that are kind of competing in the same space. Absolutely. And I also think that there was a bit of a hiccup when it came to the X1. I think a lot of people liked the old X1, the... um 
the rear-wheel drive-based model, and then this new model came out with its front-wheel drive platform, um, which really turned down enthusiasts and, and critics, right? Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because didn't we recently talk about the John Cooper Works something something from Mini? Uh, Countryman, yeah. Countryman, which is the same platform, right? Right. And you ended up liking that vehicle a lot. I did. I mean, that one had 300 horsepower. It was hard not to like. Okay. Well, that's your criteria, 300 horsepower and, and, and you're you're good? Yeah, that's the uh, summary of almost every car I have. 295, not enough. Not good enough. <laughs> 306, good to go. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that 300 horsepower is what made that car fun for you because the X1 doesn't have anything close to that, Sammy. It has no. 228 horsepower from a turbocharged four-cylinder. It has an eight-speed automatic. You can get it in front-wheel drive. You can get it in all-wheel drive. The version that I had was all-wheel drive. And on paper, it doesn't seem very fast. It's 6.3 seconds to 60, Sammy. Hey, uh, that's not that's not that bad. No, it's, I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm just saying it's not, it's not performance necessarily no, when per- you think about performance right. in a modern context. However, we're not thinking of performance in a compact crossover luxury lineup, are we? Well, Maybe. You, you might be if you're buying, I mean, the version of the car that I had, the, the X1. So uh, I had the, the all-wheel drive version, sorry, the, or four-wheel drive version. So that starts at about 38,000 US. And then you can add a whole bunch of stuff to that. And mine had a whole bunch of stuff to that. Uh, it had the premium package enhanced which includes a bunch of huh? things like yeah that's what it's called you get heated everything inside so steering wheel seats etc you get a panoramic sunroof it has nicer interior trim led headlights head up display navigation Ooh. all that okay fun so stuff. hold up half of that stuff sounds like things i would expect in a luxury car and other half do sound pretty nice that must be the enhanced part <laughs> <laughs> and, and well hey, but the reason i mentioned the options is because you were talking about sport and my car also came with the m sport package oh okay of course as all bmws now offer these days right pretty much yeah it's hard <laughs> to avoid it you can get it almost anywhere the m sport for the x1 comes with 19 inch rims you get steering it's it's different steering. finally different electric <laughs> steering oh okay um, i'm assuming the, the suspension it's <laughs> it's odd because if you look at how it's listed in options it goes m sport steering m sport package sport seats standard suspension oh <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> i don't know what that means if it means standard m sport suspension or just standard mm-hmm. suspension but it had a nice little aero package on the outside and it has the uh high gloss shadow dine trim which is the blacked out trim instead of chrome okay My, mine was blue too which is, is a very nice blue color all of this to say Mm-hmm. It added about ten grand in terms of, of cost to the price. So I'm looking at $50,000 for the vehicle. Okay. I That's really, a lot of money for, a, for a, a compact SUV, isn't I it? I really, really, really liked it. What? Yes. Really? Yes. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed this vehicle. To the point where I swapped this vehicle for an M850 Grand Coupe, which we'll be talking about next week. And I was reluctant to do so... <laughs> Because I had a road trip coming up, actually a series of road trips for the holidays, and I was just so impressed by how the X1 drove, the seating position, the comfort, and the practicality of the cargo area, that I was seriously considering asking them to let me keep it instead of the Grand Coupe. Okay, that's insane, because the the 8 Series is one of the best vehicles that BMW makes, but now I'm, I'm getting the impression that the X1 isn't far off in terms of, um, is it execution of the vehicle, or is it just convenience, or, or like, it's, what is it? I think, and we also should t- take a quick step back as to where the, hesi- the hesitation of your, of your experience with it 
came from? Where, when did you, when and how did you approach it saying, I'm not, to, I'm not so sure I'll enjoy this week with the X1 or I'm not sure I'm going to fall in love with this car? I think and because then, I've, I've just been burned out on entry-level compact SUVs. Okay. So I, you've, been, you've been burned out by like how cheap their interiors can feel and how unrefined the rides can be? Just just how a lot of the time they package a premium badge with a non-premium experience. And I'll right. admit to have having had some bad experiences with the X3 in the past mm-hmm. before that vehicle was kind of brought up to the standard where it should have been. And mm-hmm. I think that that really colored my approach to the X1. I, th- I, I think I was uh, thinking, you know what? This is going to be the lost leader that gets you into the X3. You know, okay. this is people come try this and they, they, they drive it at the dealership and they're like, maybe the X one's not for me, but there's an X3 across the showroom floor that looks like it, it's a better fit for my life. But to be honest, the X1 really feels like a kind of a cross between a hatchback and a wagon. It doesn't really feel like a crossover. And okay. I was surprised at that 6.30 to 60 uh, launch time, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Because the car felt much quicker than that. And it nice. felt like it had way more than 228 horsepower. And okay. not only that, but the engine, in addition to feeling more powerful than its listed rating, was a lot smoother than I would have expected. Okay, so there's a couple of things I want to talk about. 100% you're right. I remember there was an X3 that used to come with like that um, fake leather that BMW puts on everything. Sensatech, I think it's called. And it feels horrible. And I remember looking at that X3 being like, oh my goodness, what is BMW doing? And then since then, I think they've really changed things around with their interior quality. And second of all, back in back with the um, X1, I used, to, I used to complain saying that this is a mini platform and it doesn't ever feel like a mini in the worst way. Um, it never felt uh, enjoyable or fun or agile in any of the ways that minis usually feel. And I thought that was a, always a miss on BMW's part. Take the fun parts and just refine them. Don't numb them out. You know what I mean? And I th- and I feel like maybe that's where BMW's uh, what BMW is achieving with its latest X1. It's entirely possible. I I'm not going to call this an enthusiast vehicle, but no. I am going to say it's enjoyable to drive in the sense that it does everything you would want it to do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel completely dead from behind the wheel. And it's a good like I live in a city. I live very close to the downtown core of the city I live in, too. It's, but Montreal is about four and a half million people. And it's also notoriously anti-car. <laughs> yeah, and, and this vehicle is a good size. I was able to park it where I wanted it to. I was able to uh, get through traffic without any issues. I could go into parking garages without any problems. And yet, at the same time, it had enough space in the backseat to be okay comfortable for adults for reasonable trips. But the cargo space in the back was also decent. Like, it, it felt like an upscale hatch. And it drove like an upscale hatchback. And you know what? Maybe $50,000 is too much to pay for yeah. that experience. But overall, this is quite an impressive vehicle. And I just – I wasn't expecting any of this. I was expecting to get into something that was cynical. And there's nothing cynical about this model. They really kind of put an effort in, like you were saying, to recapture the potential of the platform that it's based on. And I want to mention uh, a couple of the things that are new for t- 2020. It gets uh, the LED lighting that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the wheels are different. You get the new um, 8.8 inch uh, version of i iDrive. So that used to be optional, but now it's standard. So it's the the full most modern version, I think, of the iDrive system, which works very well. And the automatic transmission has been reprogrammed too, and that might account for how much smoother the drivetrain felt for me with this Turbo Four. Okay, interesting. And uh, I mean, the rest of the the rest of the the you know bits that make up the x1 are 
not necessarily unfamiliar. I think we've seen that Turbo 4 before. We've we've seen this platform in use. And we've actually, I think you and I have both said that the X2 M35i has also been kind of in, enjoyable to drive. Um, and I'm that's the other aspect is that they've taken what was fun to drive in a much more powerful version of this car and this platform and given it to a slightly more practical appeal with the X1. Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is engaging in the same way that the X2 no. is. But I think that it's, you know, it's just good in its own way. And I, nope. I, I'm i I'm happy with that. I mean, for a vehicle to stand yeah. on its own merits in this segment is kind of, I'm not going to say unusual, but it, it's rare. Most of these vehicles are just trying to get you into the brand. But this one goes a little bit farther, I think. I think actually you and I have had the same experience with a number of other vehicles in this class alone, where we've said, oh, is this just going to be another watered down brand? Um, or representation of the brand. I mean, we talk about like the Lexus UX, for example, or uh, Mercedes GLA, or an Audi Q3, um, maybe even the Range Rover Evoque that we had a while back. These are a bunch of things that I think we are have become cynical um, based on how much more affordable they try to be and what they try to put into the vehicle um, in terms of value, and there's really nothing there. No, I, I would take the X1 over all of the vehicles you just mentioned. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's uh, It really feels like a strong, solid 360-degree effort from BMW. I'm going to I'm gonna use some management speak <laughs> to, <laughs> to uh, resynchronize our, our priority goals. And it, it is a bit of a conservative-looking vehicle, but talk to me. You just mentioned that the cargo space was actually pretty um, strong for you. Yeah. Um, you were uh, happy I, with – did I, you move any tires, for example? I didn't move any tires okay. this time, no. Uh, <laughs> I actually used the Grand Coupe to move a whole bunch of car parts with it, which <laughs> of is kind of funny. You did. But uh, no, it was, it, was, it was good. And, you know, in terms of conservative styling, the, the kidney grills are bigger, the vents are bigger, you know, all oh, that fun stuff. But uh, the blue that I had really kind of brought out the lines of the vehicle. It, it didn't look like a, just like a blob. It actually really? kind You're of. You're not saying that? I'm sorry? You're saying that it doesn't look – it has a bit more of a distinctive look than usual blob. I do usual think so, blob. Than, than usual. Uh, I think maybe – because I'm sure it's closer in size to the original X3's proportions. Yeah. And as a result, I just think it's, it's maybe easier on the eyes because of that. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And if this is what we can expect from BMW's front-wheel drive-derived platforms, I really mm-hmm. don't think we have anything to worry. There seem to be on the ball in the way that some other OEMs just aren't. There's a couple of things that uh, well, first of all, I want to dub- I want to double down on that. I, I mentioned I drove the um, the two series Grand Coupe, which is similarly based on this platform and this powertrain, and I think it's not it it is actually quite decent. Um, the interior has always been a sticking point for me with BMW, um, especially the X1 and the way it's kind of like buttons and controls and layouts are all sorted out, and uh, whether or not there's a lot of at hand storage or if there's a lot of hard plastics that kind of rattle or or get in the way. Do you still find that being a sticking point for the X1, or do you think people will not find that to be as to be as critical with with this vehicle? I think it works 
I don't necessarily think... I mean, at $50,000, yeah, you're going to be critical. But if you're at $50,000, then you're also paying for the uh, enhanced, extended, whatever package that Premium I had. Premium package and yeah, enhanced. Which had, which had uh, upscale interior bits. So okay. if you stick to the $40,000 version, you're probably not going to be disappointed with the interior. And the $50,000 version is most likely going to be upgraded to the point where you won't notice. That's true. Now, before I, I, I close the this chapter on the X1, I want to ask you if there's any um, gimmicks, as usual, in the BMW in BMW fashion. Like, are there any ceramic controls or whatever? Like no, that? you know what? No? There was there was nothing really tedious about <laughs> about interacting <laughs> with the car, and for that, I am very very appreciative. That's uh, where I, it comes from. That's why you're in such a good mood about it. There was no waving your hands in the air to get the radio station. No, change. none of that. None of that garbage. It was a straightforward <laughs> experience. Uh, there was nothing. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember now, and I'm looking at pictures to see if the model that I had had the annoying kind of capacitive touch center controls, but I don't think I did. Mm-hmm. I had straightforward buttons, so that was mm-hmm. also a, a win in my book. That's actually really good to hear. Uh, and a pared-down BMW experience that doesn't feel like you're really losing out on anything, that's that's good. Like, that's actually, like, it's a focused experience rather than, than anything else. And that means it in the most non-marketing, ridiculous way. And you can get a brown leather interior if you're into that. And I'm into that, so, I mean, Is someone else Is it brown else or tan? It's brown. There's a brown. You can, it's, there's, I'm sure there's a tan, but I'm looking at a brown right now. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at a brown. What did yours have? I, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's been three weeks. Oh, Ben, the holidays have treated you well. Um, I want to I want to transition quickly into the car that I drove, which was the 2020 Lexus RX 450h, which I have mentioned in the past that the RX has always been a very good in betweener and a good choice for luxury car buyers in this segment. Um, because it's both the right size and the right price for buyers, and it also has a good um, a good sense of performance and luxury as well. What do you mean by performance? When you're t- first of all, you're driving the H, right? Yeah, I'm driving the hybrid. This is the 450H, which uses a V6 as well as a hybrid powertrain. I have an all-wheel drive version of the car, which makes just north of 300 horsepower, which oh, we wow. already so established. automatic pass from Sammy Yeah, Hadassar. automatic pass for me. <laughs> um, and it earns 30 miles per gallon combined, which I think is very strong for a car of this size um, and in this class. I think it's pretty good. My my other The other things that I wanted to mention, now your car cost about $50,000 uh, U.S. as equipped. Now, mine is just under sixty thousand U.S. and wow. it's a significantly larger vehicle. Yeah, well, yeah, um, but ten thousand dollars more and a hybrid. Yeah, of course. So um, they're it's they're not comparable. I'm not trying to make that comparison, but I just want people to understand the perspective of saying I'm looking at a crossover. Um, do I want a small one or do I want a big one? And I think in a in a in a cityscape such as the one that you live in. Um, the X1 makes a lot of sense, and especially if it's um, as equipped as yours is. But I think for those who have a family or are maybe a little bit further out of the city and can use the extra space or um, anything like that, the Lexus RX, the size, will really be um, appropriate. Um, this year, the, the automaker has added a couple of really important um, features. Actually, just one really important feature. They've updated the infotainment system slightly. Um now, the problem is it still uses that touchpad infotainment system that me, you and I have both griped about in the past. It still exists. 
However, there is a touchscreen as well, and there's Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support, which I think is extremely important, and uh, I found it to work very well, and uh, even with that touchpad, um, I didn't have too many difficulties using it. So does that touchpad add like a, uh, (laughs) when you're using, trying to use Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, does it add like a weird sheen to the entire process? What do you mean by that? Like it just feels a little bit different. It it, it does feel a little, you're right. It does feel a little bit more, I wouldn't say gimmicky. It, it feels like this is a new experience, something that I haven't done before because usually I'm used to using my fingers and touching the screen, which you can do in this vehicle, but you know, it's like playing a game with a different controller for the first time. You know what's really interesting to me is the whole logic behind companies using um, r- non-touchscreens. Let's say a rotary knob or a series yeah. of buttons to contr- to use infotainment controls. It's all because the concept of, hey, if you're using a touchscreen, you have to take your eyes off the road. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily have uh, feedback from the screen to know you're pushing the right buttons, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So what Lexus has done <laughs> is they've taken that experience of mm-hmm. a touchscreen and also put it on the center console. <laughs> yeah. So you've got both at the same time. You've got two dangerous <laughs> inf- yeah. uh, interfaces working together. I, I'm That's not saying, synergy. I'm, I'm not saying that uh, – first of all, I'm saying it's an improvement to offer Android Auto. And it's a much bigger touchscreen now and it's a better looking infotainment system. It's a, a far more sleeker infotainment system. Okay. Um, but it, it is still not perfect. However, the driving experience of the Lexus RX I think has been um, perfected over the years. It's not – it is not a sporty car but it is very responsive. It behaves – um, very exactly what you expect a car of this size to behave like. It never tries to go out of its way to give you um, a, a sense of exhilaration um, or or speed, but it does give you a sense of um, like you're getting somewhere where you want to go, and your your inputs are being. Um, acted upon just as you expected them to. I know it's a very weird thing to say that way. That is a very weird thing to say. I'm trying to think of a car that doesn't do that. There are some cars that have a little bit of a lag between the the throttle input and the steering input. And the way that when you do uh, initiate a turn or something like that, there's a bit of a – there's too much body roll. There's a shift. It feels like the car does not want to do what you want it to do. So you're saying that the the, – not just the handling of the car is good for the RX – but also the the hybrid system is completely transparent. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that. I would say that it's very transparent. I think it's very refined, and uh, and the way that the hybrid system, both the gas and the electric motors, um, work together to deliver such good fuel economy is really uh, smooth. It's very impressive in that regard. There are still a few things that I really wish that Lexus could get a bit. Um, better with I think um, the cargo space of the vehicle is just not as strong as I had anticipated it to be um, and uh, I think if you have a bunch of people on a road trip somewhere it, like maybe three or four people and trying to get all of their um, cargo in different uh, in different bags into the back seat of the uh, sorry into the cargo space of the vehicle you might not achieve that I think there isn't that much space back there which is a bit um, Surprising, considering the size of the RX. Yeah. However, the rear seats of the vehicle are, is massive. I think that's where the trade-off is. The well, do they seats. slide? Um, yeah, I believe they do. So you can uh, slide I'll them all the way check. forward for more cargo space? Yeah, I think so. I'm not 100% certain on the, on how far they slide, or I might be confusing just how much they the, the rear seats fold. But um, I do know that the rear seats are extremely spacious, and I'm very happy with how much um, space is back there. 
as well as the features that are available to the to the the users in the back, including I think um, in a climate control system and um, heated seats and even manually controlled sunshades, which is nice too. I, I don't like sunshades. I, I sunshades. This is kind of a rant, but I find sunshades I, I'm, are. I'm I, eager to hear it. Let me. They, hear they they really block visibility for me, and okay. it's always been an issue. And I, I wonder. So I don't have kids. And for mm-hmm. me, the idea of sunshades exists for parents who want to shield their children from the sun. I mean, that seems to be the the most often, the most common reason you would use those in a vehicle. So, if any of our yeah. listeners out there do that with sunshades and find them useful, or if they have those stick on sunshades that that mm-hmm. people like to use, if you have experience with those, just write write in and let us know because I've always been curious about that. And also, the this, their rear sunshade on a lot of luxury cars is something that's always oh, yeah. confused me too because that's. I guess you could theoretically have sun coming in and bothering rear seat passengers, but it seems like a whole lot of something for nothing, really. Okay. I agree with you on maybe on the rear sunshade. Um, I think that's always been a gimmick, uh, a way to show your friends and family or, or colleagues that you've got something pretty fancy that they don't have. Uh, and I believe that some people buy luxury cars for that exact purpose. Um, I will admit the one thing I really do like about the Lexus RX is the interior design has really been um, upgraded. I love the the layout and the feel. All of the buttons and the controls and the and the accents and trims are right on point. And this is what a luxury car should feel like. And it doesn't feel like a sixty thousand dollar car. It feels like it's much more affordable, uh, much more expensive than that. And that's even that's even wild for a Lexus as well. Um, I I'm wondering at this point in time though. If vehicles like the Mercedes GLE and BMW X5, which are very high-tech vehicles, um, are a little bit more expensive, but are are thorough luxury experience in both um, execution of um, comfort and technology and premium um, equipment, are starting to overshadow the Lexus. And I think that's definitely a possibility. Starting to. Or have overshadowed the Lexus. I think that's definitely a possibility. I feel um, like I feel like when you say a little bit more expensive, you mean to say a lot of bit more expensive. Um, what is the base price on a on a GLE? I thought they're they're not too far a off. The Base price of an X five is sixty grand. Okay, uh, and so, I was, like I said, I have a I have a decently equipped, not fully equipped Lexus RX at sixty thousand. Okay, and an X X drive fifty model X five mm-hmm. is seventy six. That's a that's a V eight. So that's like I guess. What you're trying to say is that the upgraded engine of both of these cars just do not line up at all. No, I mean the hybrid would be comparable to the X550, right? In, in yeah. theory. So, and and also I think if you wanted to equip the 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 base model X5 with a lot of the gear that you have in your hybrid, it would the- pro- probably add significant money. Okay, then then maybe I'm I've got that wrong, but I think size wise the two cars are very close uh, so in what, terms of interior space. I, I I would be more curious as to how it compares to an Acura MDX, which I think probably lines up a little bit better price wise. I think the MDX isn't. Um, I, I've I've done this comparison in the past though, and I found the Lexus to be a far more refined experience, and one with especially with the hybrid powertrains of the two vehicle because you can get the sport hybrid MDX. I found that the Lexus powertrain was far more. Um, efficient and smoother while the MDX was all about giving you as much performance as possible right out the gate. And I think that has its appeal, but isn't always what you're looking for with um, a luxury car. Now, the the dark horse for me in this segment, there's two of them, mm-hmm. uh, one of which we've talked about recently on the podcast, and that would be the Cadillac X-T6. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, also... I'll go, for, I'll go out of my own experience and not 
no, I would I would not recommend the XD6. Okay, and what about the Lincoln entry? The Lincoln is so is so it's so I love the Lincoln in the way it achieves so many of the things that it does. I, it feels like a way out of left field um, suggestion and competitor, but the execution of its interior and its accents and its design and layout is unique. Uh, and I think it'll it'll resonate with a lot of buyers the way that they achieve that. It's also a very quiet vehicle. And the um, sport hybrid of that, or sorry, the hybrid version of that will probably, because it's a plug-in hybrid, as far as I understand, will probably get even better fuel efficiency than this Lexus. So is there anything else you want people to know about the the RX? I find that, well, the Lexus RX is one of Lexus's best-selling vehicles, and I think it'll continue to go that way because, as we just discovered, price-wise, it doesn't it doesn't line up to some of the other vehicles in its size, but I think um, luxury-wise, it is still quite decent um, and attractive. I don't know about the exterior styling still. You know, people don't like that big old grill on these things, but this is something we're, we're coming to get used to, I guess. Um, I wonder what's going to happen now that we've reached 2020, and we're going to look through these these past five or, I, I don't know, 10 or five years in, in the mid-2010s or 20-teens, Um and be like, what was everyone do- doing with these ginormous grills? Like, will there be? It's going to be distinct time. And are you uh, saying that the grills time. are kind of like the tail fins of the early sixties, late fifties? I think that's one hundred percent what I'm trying to say. And uh, I wonder, it's going to be such a distinct period in car design. That well, you know, we, we also had. This has been so many trends like that. There's, there was the body cladding trend. Yeah. Okay. That's you know, ha- like, that also happened. Recently, you started right? in the late '90s and then kind of really peaked in the mid 2000s, I think. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about peaked. I think it's still coming. No. Well, I mean, you don't see vehicles like the Aztec or the Outback kind of going as hardcore <laughs> as they used to. Take a look at that new Mazda CX-30. It's got so that's much true. body cladding. That's true. Uh, another another trend I think that's a little unusual was when every a full-size pickup company they decided they needed to have enormous grills of their own but it wasn't like it wasn't like the grills that you're talking about it was like they actually the frontal area of the truck had to be at least as tall as a six-foot human being it was insane it just it and and they've kind of backed away from that a little bit i know ram really led the charge there and then i think everyone felt they had to, to catch up right that was that was kind of a bit much I like uh, – I mean I've always thought that the grill thing was uh, very um, – I, I thought it was obnoxious. I was, I was used to say that. But then I had um, a colleague, a former, uh, a former colleague and friend of the show, Stephen Elmer, tell me, you know, these vehicles are now so efficient that they can get very hot. Um, and especially when a truck is towing, it needs all of the cooling it can get and that's what all that grill space is for. Oh, now, for I'm sure. going I'm going to go with what he's saying there. But I also know that some of these grills are also like – like filled in have you ever seen these you know what i mean yeah but but you know yeah for aero and whatnot but you know a lot of the grills that we're seeing that are big on vehicles outside of the pickup truck segment are also for cooling because we have so many turbocharged motors now that's right but uh, with regards to to what steven was saying about towing and needing all the air could get something that would help with that is maybe making pickups a little bit lighter yeah, because totally. they've become enormous behemoths. And I mean, that's what Ford has been trying to to push for with EcoBoost. I mean, sorry, the aluminum. No, um, actually, that's been the marketing spin on it. But what what the reality was is Ford's F Series pickups were so much heavier than Chevrolet and Ram. Oh, okay. The inclusion of aluminum kind of brought them down to the industry average, rather go. than having any kind of huge cost uh, weight cutting effect that would put them below that. So it was something they needed to do. 
Yeah. And a lot of it's just related to how big trucks are now. When I was talking just now about the large grills, I was thinking also about how tall beds are in the back and how you used to be. I, I've owned many pickup trucks and I used to be able to reach into the bed of my pickup truck and grab something. You yeah. Now you have to anymore. step on the tire or something. Yeah. You yeah. have to step on the tire or on the extremely elaborate folding step that emerges from somewhere. Like it's it, these features have been added because they're needed and they're <laughs> needed because trucks are big. It's so interesting to have this uh, thing, this look back into the, uh, the the last decade of car design and cars. Maybe we will have a, a, an episode in the future, maybe a bonus episode where we can talk about some of the interesting cars from the past. Because everyone 10. loves everyone loves bonus episodes of the Unnamed Audible podcast. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, they do. Clearly, no controversy about whether we should continue <laughs> doing them. And in fact, it's the reason why. Oh, the last one we did was I don't know six seven months ago. That was because of our star car face-off that got a couple of uh, a couple of criti- uh, critical uh, messages from our listeners. I don't think it's necessary to identify these podcast episodes by name. <laughs> I'm just saying, bonus is a very loaded term. Okay, okay. I have one more question for you, Sammy. Sure, hit me. And this is something I've always thought about Lexus when it comes to its SUVs. When you look at the experience you're getting from the RX, especially mm-hmm. the interior. Is there a big argument to be made for a premium vehicle like that versus the best model of a standard SUV? And I'm thinking specifically, I know we've talked a lot about Hyundai and Kia with the Telluride and the Palisade mm. lately, but they're not the only companies that are making well-turned-out standard SUVs that honestly feel like they should maybe be in the luxury segment. Well, first of all, those two cars, the Telluride and the Palisade, are fantastic. They're so good. I, I, I feel like we're going to be bringing up these cars constantly next And next not because week. of contractual obligations. No, not at all. Um, I, I would say that it's tough to find a vehicle in this class. And I, one of the most interesting things, as far as I understand, about the Lexus RX is that it doesn't ride on a platform that's shared with very many other vehicles. It seems a little bit more bespoke. It's not uh, TNGAK. It is not TNGA anything. Um, so what I find it really interesting is that the Lexus RX has been, I think, super popular, and they haven't invested in a new platform in a, in a while, and they're probably making a lot of money off of it. But in terms of the experience, there are very few non-luxury vehicles that match the Lexus for um, uh, premium experience. This is a weird one to say, but maybe the a well-equipped Grand Cherokee could be a, among that list. But those can be kind of pricey once you start um, adding the options, too. And sometimes there's some issues with um, reliability and durability of those vehicles. Well, that, that's an interesting perspective. Um, I hadn't considered that. If, if any of our listeners want to add their perspective to what we've been saying this week or what we've said in the past or want to accuse us of saying things in the future that we haven't even said yet. Ooh, I love our time-traveling listeners. You can get in touch with us in so many different ways. Uh, The easiest way is to probably go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and there's a contact form there. You can fill that out, click send or submit or whatever the button says, and it goes right to our inbox. And we do read all of them, so keep that in mind. Sometimes Um, twice. And you can also find us on social media. Sammy prefers the cesspool that is Twitter, and you can find him there at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. I'm on Instagram, where everybody's much nicer and kinder to each other, at Hunting Benjamin. And I really do appreciate the number of people who reach out to me on social media. I've had some really great conversations over the last couple of months, not just about the show, but just about cars and life in general. So thank you very much for that. And I also wanted to point out, you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. No one has done that yet. (laughs) 
<laughs> everyone in, in the last three years, everyone has gone through the email form instead of using yeah. their direct email. But I keep saying it. I don't know why. <laughs> maybe it's hope. Uh, yeah. Maybe I want the spam bots who listen to our podcast to keep sending me more delicious <laughs> spam. <laughs> um, and Sammy, if, if people are interested in hearing past episodes, how could they yeah. do that? Well, first of all, they can go to the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. We have all of the past episodes there, as well as photos and links to the articles that we've lit, we've uh, written about the cars that we're talking about. And um, you can also subscribe to your favorite podcatcher through the website as well. So, you know, we've got Spotify links and iTunes links and uh, CastBox and I think Google Play Music there. And as well, if you go to any of your uh, podcast clients and just go to go. Search for Unnamed Automotive Podcast. We'll be there, and you can look at all of our past episodes. Um, we've had some pretty popular ones over the past few few years, and uh, we're looking forward to making some new ones in 2020. Isn't that right, Ben? That's right, and we'll be starting with not just this episode, but next week when we're going to be talking about the – I'm going to be talking about anyway – the 2020 BMW 850i xDrive Grand Coupe that I was mentioning earlier. Sammy, what have you driven lately that we'll be discussing on the next week's episode? I have driven a bunch of cars, and I'm not sure which one I'm going to talk about yet next week. Just so say one it's at a random. secret. It's a it's a it's a secret. I, a I secret. like to keep okay. my secret. Well, if any of you are into <laughs> secrets, I guess you'll like next week's episode. Uh, I have no idea what he's going to say, so <laughs> maybe don't have the kids listen. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone, and we're looking forward to to more unnamed automotive podcast in 2020. Isn't that right, Ben? Yeah, that is correct. Bye bye. Bye.